0: Hi, Hal. Hi, Julie.
1: Welcome to episode 23 of the Rise for Educators podcast. I'm Julie. And I'm Holly. We are sister-in-laws and instructional coaches who decided to take our conversations out of the corner of our family gatherings and put them into a podcast. So today we have Dave Burgess with us who probably doesn't need much of an introduction for most of our listeners. Dave wrote Teach Like a Pirate, co-authored P is for Pirate with his wife, Shelly Burgess, and is an entrepreneur who disrupted the educational publishing world. We are gonna learn about his tips and tricks for how he went from an all-star teacher to a CEO of a multi-million dollar company.
0: Welcome Dave, super excited to have you here today we've listened to several of your interviews and your story is super inspirational. And, and your Teach Like a Pirate book, as I know, on my bookshelf, on so many teachers' bookshelves. Um, and our podcast is really about inspiring teachers to take charge and optimizing their life, kind of living this life of huge, big dreams and how you get there. Um, And so we both as instructional coaches have teachers that are super talented and are doing awesome things in their classrooms that benefit their students and their schools. So we're really excited to interview you today because you've taken this whole um, from the classroom to the world to like a whole new level. Um, So today we're really excited to get to know the person behind the Pirate and take a deeper look into who you really are and the path that you took to be where you are today.
2: I'm excited to be here. Can't wait for the conversation. And I know we had a chat a while back and we had a great time. And so I'm excited to talk again.
1: Okay. Okay. So Dave, what underlying beliefs do you have that you believe lit your fire to originally become a presenter, which led you to be an author, which led you to be an entrepreneur?
2: You know, I think for me, it was about a a matter of trying to find ways to amplify my impact. Mm -hmm. And so I felt I was having a certain amount of impact in my classroom with my students Mm -hmm. and I was successful in that spot. And so then there was a point in my life where I was looking to say like, okay, how can I make this, how can I take this further? How can I amplify this impact? How can I start to influence other educators, other classrooms? I have these 38, 40 kids in front of me each period, but there's thousands of kids out there in classrooms all over uh, the world. And how can I start to reach some of those? And it's also a matter of, I, I'm a big believer in following energy. And so I want to, I'm looking to follow my energy. And so when I first started out, I, my energy was involved in the teaching and the I, I couldn't wait to develop lesson plans and to build relationships with kids and all that was kind of where my energy was focused and then slowly that energy started to move I started to get more and more excited about the presenting and more and more I was more excited about that Saturday event that I was going to be holding where I was going to have teachers coming in from all over and I was going to get a chance to present to them and then pretty soon it was like oh but now I want to write my book too and so I started to follow that like what do you want to do when everything else that you have to do is done that's like kind of where the direction you should start to be moving is. And so I would say like, okay, what am I just like, I can't wait to get my real work done because what I, what I want to do is I want to work on this over here and then to try to set up my life so I can spend more of my time working on that stuff that I'm looking to do after the, after my work.
1: Yeah. I think that's such great advice. Cause you hear that just like follow, you know, what brings you energy. And so obviously, initially that brought you energy. Um, But you've been doing this for years, and you still seem to have this like really high energy level. So what is it now that you is that still where is your energy now? Are you still doing that? Are you still following your energy?
2: Absolutely, but now it's shifted and so for a while it was, hey, how can I amplify my impact, how can I write my book, how can I share my message, how can I go out and speak, how can I influence more people, how can I work to become more persuasive, more charismatic in front of an audience and to to draw people in, so it was all working on kind of on myself and how to spread my message and then all of a sudden it shifted and it became like, okay, but now I don't feel that like my book is the whole story. I don't feel that I have all the answers. And so how can I start to amplify some other voices? How can I take other people who are doing amazing and cool things and other practitioners out there who are crushing it in their classroom and help them to amplify their impact and try to convince them that they need to share their message on a wider scale. And so that's when we started the publishing company. And so, uh, you know, for the, for at first, the big vision was, hey, I'm gonna write this book. I'm gonna go and speak. That was the whole. Thing. Of the company. And then it was like, oh, wait a second but well, look at all these other people. Look at all these other things that we could do. And so now I, we, we publish over a hundred different books and we work with probably over 150 uh, different authors. And we have uh, lots of speakers that we work with now that are authors. And so now my energy is really, I don't even check my rankings anymore. Like people say like, what's Teach Like a Pirate at? I haven't even checked my ranking in probably months and months. And I rarely tweet my uh, book link or anything like that. It's all about, oh, what is this person? How, how can I help this person share their message more?
1: Okay, that's really cool. I see you doing that on Twitter. It seems like you like really are raising people up, the authors that you work with and spreading their message. So that's really cool.
0: Yeah, I was thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, you're talking about kind of moving from this idea of like being really self-focused and moving yourself forward. Was there a moment that you can point to that really changed that focus to be like, oh, okay, now I understand like my focus currently is more moving and amplifying other people's voices.
2: I think it's something that came kind of um, just authentically by working in the space and by feeling that, like, people would always say to me, um, like, when, when's your, when's like Teach Like a Pirate 2 coming out, right? Or when's, you know, when's the next book coming out? And I said, like, well, wait, wait, wait. I told my, I think I, I felt like I told my story. I wrote my manifesto. Like, that's one of the things I mentioned to you all before is like, write your manifesto. And so nobody likes lukewarm. Tell your story. And I feel like I wrote my manifesto. I said what I wanted to say, and now I'm out sharing it. And then it got to this point of like, where people say like, well, if you could add something to teach like a pirate, what would it be? Or what do you feel you left out? And I would always, or they would say, how come you don't have this in your book? Like how could I notice there's not a lot of ed tech in your book or something like that. And I would say to them, well, let me explain to you exactly why there's not a lot of ed tech in my book. It's because I wasn't very good at it. That's why it's not in my book, And I wanted my book to be written from a very authentic space. If I didn't do it in my classroom and I was not successful with it, it's not in there. Right. Yeah. And so, but at the same time, I wasn't trying to write the encyclopedia of teaching. I wasn't trying to write the Bible of teaching. So when people say like, Hey, how come if, if this book is so great, how come this isn't in there? It's like, well, because it's my story. Yeah. But now let's add to it. Now let's find some people who are good at ed tech. Let's find some people who good are who are amazing at developing a student-led classroom. I was more, you know, I, I was good at some uh, more some teacher-centered strategies and presentational skills. That was one of my sweet spots, right? But now let's find some people that are great about project-based learning. Let's find people that are great at you know all these different elements of education. We can bring to the table and create a much broader spectrum, much wider, you know, so live wide, read wide. And so I wanted to be able to provide um, a wider perspective on education for my readers, my followers.
1: Yeah, now how many years, Dave, have you been um, out of the classroom and publishing?
2: Yeah, so I taught for 17 years at uh, West Hills High School in San Diego, California. I was a coach before that. Um, So probably about 20 years there on the campus. And then now I've been out for a few years working full-time. It came to that decision point Mm -hmm. where all of a sudden um, I was missing too many, combination of missing too many days, plus having to turn down lots of opportunities to spread my message and to share my message, which is what's you know, which was where my energy was at the time. Mm -hmm. And so we had to have that family sit down, that family decision. And um, yeah, I left the position behind, left the salary behind, left the retirement, you know, all that behind in order to go share my message um, try to amplify my impact and take that leap. And looking back on it, mm-hmm. it seems like it was a no-brainer, right? Because it, it was successful. But at the time, what people, don't, people have to remember <laughs> is, at, at the time, we didn't know what was going to happen. And so it was a risk, it was a leap. Same, that's the same thing with creating the conference, the workshop at first. I spoke for over five years about Teach Like a Pirate before there was a book, right? People think all of a sudden this book just dropped and all of a sudden everyone knew who Dave Burgess was. No, I was speaking about Teach Like a Pirate for five, six years, most of it at my expense. I was buying conference registrations to go and be able to hold a session on Teach Like a Pirate. I wasn't getting paid to speak at the beginning of all this. And then if you trace back even before that, when I was first asked to get put together a workshop in my district, I said, yes, and I did not have a workshop. I did not have a (laughs) seminar. I did not have anything pulled together, nothing organized, nothing nothing written down. They said, hey, do you want to do this workshop? And I said, "Um, yeah, I'm in, let's go. And all of a sudden, boom, there was a date on the calendar where I was gonna have to stand up in front of my peers, my colleagues, and speak. Now, this wasn't a one hour session, a conference. The very first thing I did was eight in the morning until three in the afternoon. It was a full day, it was a full day workshop, seven hours with like a half hour lunch for peers in my district who were gonna come and see me speak. And so starting from scratch, I had to take that leap. I had to jump out of the plane and build my parachute on the way down. As that's what I always tell people, if you wait for the timing to be right, you're never gonna do it. People always say like, well, I wanna write a book, but you know, there's things, some things going on in my life right now. I'm busy. I got this, I got that. Or I wanna get involved in starting a business or whatever it might be. But I think probably things are gonna clear up for me in two years. No, listen. If you wait for the right time to do something and to grab opportunity, uh, it's, it's ne- there's never going to be the right time. There's always going to be something that's, uh, that you can use as an excuse to hold you back. You got to take that leap.
1: Yeah. Okay. So that was a big leap. And that's kind of what our podcast is about is we work with all these teachers and coaches and people that have all these great ideas, but everyone feels really just safe in their classroom with their teacher salaries and you know all of that. So what is it? about you, Dave, that you felt like you could do that? Did you, have you always been like that? Were you like that as a kid? Like I'm just someone who's just gonna go for it or was there fear involved in that and how did you deal with that?
2: Yeah, so I think one of the things you can do is just take it piece by piece. And so let's look back and note that uh, I started as a full-time teacher, I had a job and I I was speaking at workshops, I was going to conferences I was writing my book and doing all these things as sort of a side hustle. Right. Mm -hmm. And then when my income of the, of speaking reached a certain point, and then I, and I had my book, Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden it was safer to take that leap. And so it wasn't just a starting from scratch and jumping out there before you even know whether or not your message is going to resonate. I started small and took it step by step. Right. And so that's, you know, that's one of the pieces of advice that I offer to people. Could people come all the time and say, listen, here's what I want to do. Um, I, I want to write a book and then that's going to launch my speaking career. <laughs> and I always tell them, no, I don't think so. So what I would do is launch your speaking career go out and start speaking, whether it's free or not. And then you get a chance to hone and craft your message. You get to talk in front of an authentic audience and see with real eyeballs staring at you whether or not your message is hitting, whether it's resonating and you can shape it and craft it. You get to see what slide do you put up on the screen where everyone in the audience puts their phone up and gets a little picture of it, right? You get to look at your social media feed after you're done talking and see what is it that people are tweeting about? What is it that really hit them? And what what questions do they have for you when they come up after you speak? Oh, that's something that maybe I need to flesh out a little bit, right? because everybody wants to know more about this topic. And then you get a chance to write your book. And that's I mean—that's the order that I would always take it in. And so, yes, it was a big leap, but there were steps along the way that you can take. And we still have lots of authors uh, that are still doing what it is that they wrote about. There, lots of our authors, more, more than half of them for sure, are still practicing classroom teachers, still in the principalship that they wrote about or whatever position they're writing about, they're still out there doing it. So um, there, there, there is a way to do both.
0: Okay. You know, I was thinking as you were talking about that, um, something that's so powerful there that you said is like, you started. And it didn't happen, like all of a sudden people could look at you and you live in this beautiful house in California, you're super successful, you have this awesome publishing company, you're a published author yourself. Um, But it didn't happen overnight and that like, step by step progress, you know, just maybe thinking about taking what's that next step forward and maybe it is, you know, in your in your district or, you know, something a little bit more accessible to people. Thinking about that, what can you point to some adversity you've had along the way that maybe made that that path a little difficult? And how did you overcome it?
2: Yeah, well, I think part of it was being super relentless about learning everything that you need to know at each step along the way. And so when I was first offered a publishing contract, And, you know, I can still remember to this day I was in a coffee shop in Washington, DC at the NCSS conference. Right. And, uh, someone, a publishing company came and sat in on my session, Mm -hmm. came up to me afterwards with a business card and said, we would like to talk to you while you're at the conference here. Right. And I wasn't sure what it was about, just knew it was a publishing company, uh, met them in a coffee shop and they ended up at that conversation. They offered me a publishing contract and I went straight up into my hotel room, googled publishing contracts because I thought she was trying to cheat me when I read it. And then when I Googled them, I found out she was not trying to cheat me. That's what they look like, right? Mm-hmm. And I always tell people, the only thing missing to me was a ski mask and a gun. I couldn't believe it, right? And so then that's, that's when the next most important step happens is I started to research pub- the publishing industry, Re- reading everything I could about the publishing industry, listening to everything I could, listening to podcasts that were specific to the publishing industry, right? talking to people, take going to going to workshops and seminars and buying books and all everything I could about the publishing industry. And so I had to find get all that background knowledge that and develop that skill set to then have the confidence to be able to say like, hey, I don't need to sign this contract. I can start my own publishing company with Shelley, my wife, and we can, and we can, we can do this and put, publish our own book, right? Mm-hmm. And so every step along the way, how do you become a better speaker? Well, you start watching great speakers. You start learning from them and you start reading about speaking. You start listening to people who are talking about speaking. How do you attract an audience? I took, I took some of my background as a magician. Sorry, what, is, what, is the, what does a magician do in order to... Uh, attract an audience. What do they do to draw an audience in? How do they engage them? How do they evoke those emotions of wonder and joy and all that, right? Um, I looked at street performers. So I have some background in street performing. I have some background in all these different areas of my life outside, uh, outside of education, came together. I was an MC. I was involved in rap and DJing and things like that for a while. Well, so how do you hold the attention of a party? How do you bring energy to a group of people? And all these different things around me. Um, I always tell people, how, look around the world and say, how can I use that? And so you have to look at sort of your skill set, your strengths, your talents, and think, all right, what is it that I do that's successful? How can I tie that into what I'm doing here? And then also, what am I missing? What do I need to know? Who knows that information? How can I connect with them? Or how can I get that information from them? And so I don't have a business degree, but I have—I run a business that has been two years on the Inc. 5000 um, fastest growing company privately held companies in the United States you know, it's a multi-million dollar corporation and we run it from our house and I have no business degree no coursework in, in, in that at all but I put in the time paid the dues along with Shelly of course and what do we need to know who needs to know it where can I get that information how can I get to that next step yeah
1: so yeah. you obviously you sound like you're you're someone who lives a growth mindset right? I mean, you sound like you've just this very motivated person who um, you recognize your strengths and you fill the gaps by learning and having this, you know, authentic growth mindset. So my question is, what is next? Because I know people with growth mindsets usually don't like to just stay steady. So what is, what do you think your future holds?
2: Yeah. And so <laughs> we're, I mean, we're obviously super excited about all the projects that we have lined up to put out. We just put out a bunch of projects, 20, 2020 will be our biggest year as far as number of books published, and so we still have lots of exciting books coming out. And so, um, and then we're you know looking at the 2021 lineup right now, and so we're trying to find that sweet spot what's the right number of books to publish? How much do we want to scale? We don't want to become a big company, we don't want buildings and warehouses and all that kind of stuff, huge staff. And so, how can we find that sweet spot? How can we find that place where we're successfully running this business and helping and supporting our authors, providing great educational materials for teachers and administrators, but yet um, not letting the business overrun our life. And so um, we're trying to, I think the future for us is like, hey, how can we delegate some of this? How can we find that sweet spot? How big do we want to scale? Where where do we need to, uh, to look to make some switches and changes and how we run our operations in order to be able to capture some of that time back too.
1: Okay, so kind of like I'm seeking some balance. I know you have, you have kids, right?
2: Absolutely, I have two, 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 two children, excuse me.
1: Okay, and how old are your kids?
2: So uh, <laughs>
1: 19 and 16. Oh, okay, about the same age as my kids. So you're kind of seeking now that balance, like how can you keep this going, but um, have it be manageable? So here's my question. I was thinking about you, you know, you have, you kind of are this publishing company that's very approachable for teachers in the classroom who have these ideas. So you get all these pitches. Um, Here we are September of 2020 and you're getting all these pitches in. I'm guessing that you kind of see the waves of like the trends in the types of pitches that you get. So I'm kind of curious, can you speak a little bit about what trends have you seen in terms of the ideas that you're getting?
2: Yeah, so I think that there's, uh, right now, the big trends are, um, well, there's a few. So one obviously is technology, along, and especially um, blended learning, remote learning, distance learning. Um, everyone is desperate for more ways that they can uh, engage and empower and teach a curriculum in a virtu- through virtual spaces or blended spaces, not knowing what's going to happen. Uh, the, the second big trend right now is uh, with anti-racist work and equity work and mm-hmm. uh, and diversity and all of that. And so that's that's a big trend. And just kind of school culture in general, I think, is a big trend as well. We're also seeing um, people moving more and more. Uh, so we always. We're looking for things that are evergreen, which means that we want things that, although they are hopefully applicable for teachers right now and for administrators right now, but they have some principles behind them that, is that there's going to be some longevity. They're not going to become obsolete. So for example, we're, uh, we get pitched you know, 10 times a week what I would call the pandemic book. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, I, I don't want the pandemic book to be perfectly honest with you, because I don't think that's evergreen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that might be, hopefully it's not evergreen. Right. And so I think it's perfectly legitimate to take something like that and say, well, how can you adjust to rapid change and disruption? And how can you, uh, trans- how can you transform education in the face of turbulence and challenges and obstacles? And all those things related to the pandemic, I, I think, are great, are great books and great topics. But I don't want like the COVID-19 book right, right no. I don't think anyone I, wants to read the.
1: I don't want to read the COVID-19 book but yeah, exactly. have you seen like when you first started in it with your company have you really seen um like from the beginning till now some really big changes in the types of ideas that are being pitched or is it n- not as much I know you have like a lot of I, I, th-
2: I think that a lot of it is still the same I think I think one of the things that we do that is unique and it's kind of changed the um, dynamic of the publishing world and education is the um, lifting up of practitioners mm-hmm. And so it used to be where you had to like you know maybe maybe you hadn't taught in years and years and years and you had gone off and you'd done all sorts of research studies and done some academic writing and all that kind of stuff and then you would get a book contract or you were huge in the speaking space already and then you got a book contract and I think what's unique about what we did, John Kripo was one of our authors. He referred to it as an example of like the, the craft beer phenomenon, mm-hmm. where it used to be, you know, you have the, the Anheuser Busch and Coors, like these big giant beer makers. And all of a sudden people say, wait a second. Oh, I can like set up a brewery and have like a microbrewery and have these micro brews. And this whole new industry started to hit that thing where now you could go to these festivals and everyone had their little unique brews and all that kind of stuff. Well, we're kind of like the microbrewery of education in a sense, is that we're taking practitioners, people that are actually out there doing this stuff in real classrooms, real, real kids, real students, real staff and amplifying their voice and saying like, hey, what are you doing right now that's working? Why, and give us the real example not from the research study from 10 years ago but i want the story to be about michael in row three and what and how you empowered michael in row three right and by the way i want you to share your story along with it and your voice as an educator and what's being, what you're successful at right now and so i think that's one of the reasons our books are resonating with people is because when people read it they sense that authenticity they sense the fact that hey you know what I look on Twitter, and this person is out there doing it in class. This they're doing this lesson this week that they wrote about in their book. Like they're still doing this stuff. Right. And so right. I think that's that's a big thing that we've done is said, hey, you don't have to be at some certain um, academic level or some. You don't have to have a doctorate. You don't have any of that. If you're a practicing classroom teacher, and if you're doing effective things in your classroom, it is absolutely legit, legitimate for you to spread your message and your story.
1: Right. Yeah, I love that because that's just like really what we're about is just in, you know, you're really about empowering. You empowered yourself and now you're empowering others and you don't have to have a big fancy title or be anyone. It can just be, we can all just, we all have our mojo that we can, um, you know, that we can share. So that's really cool. That's really cool.
0: And I think one of the things that we noticed when we had our first conversation is just you're such an authentic guy. Um, and I think that comes through in everything you do. It's like, those are the professional people that you go to. Um, do you have like, who are your people in your personal life? Is that similar, do you feel like, to the people that you are, are attracted to professionally? Or do you feel like that's kind of two separate um, bags?
2: Well, I think I think I'm drawn to similar people in my personal life and professional life. I think I have a big overlap between those two worlds, right? And, you know, now, and a lot of some, some of my best friends are, uh, I met on social media, (laughs) you know, so I have friends, of course, that I've grown up with and met professionally here and personally here around me locally, but then also, you know, it's a situation now by becoming a connected educator, um, you go to one of these conferences, and you feel like you're walking into like a reunion like oh my gosh and like you're you're greeting people you're giving um pre-pandemic you're giving hugs to people and (laughs) uh and and saying hello to people that you feel like you really know because you're so connected to them via social media which is kind of a a a fun thing to see how that's happened um but like so i'm i mentioned this before i'm a big believer you, you live wide read wide and so, not all of the best education books are in the education section, and that hurts to me to say that because I post education books, right? But that was my—if um, we we spoke earlier, my backdrop, which they can't see, some flags, <laughs> behind, pirate flags behind me. But behind those flags, bookshelves filled with books that I've read, and actually a remarkably small percentage of them are education books. Besides, of course, books that we publish, they're books from outside of education. Because I think that we can do a lot to inform our life as educators by reading outside of our profession. And that brings that uh, originality and un- unique, um, unique perspective to what we do in education. And so I love to, leave, to live wide, to read wide. That's the secret. That's one of the secrets of Teach Like a Pirate is that it took all the, there's not one education book referenced inside of Teach Like a Pirate. It's all books outside of education that influenced me, all my activities outside of education and how they impacted me as an educator.
0: Hmm. So what's on your bedside table right now that you're reading?
2: My bedside table right now is I'm reading a book on running actually and it's about uh, how to uh, run more injury-free, and how to. Um,
1: Good luck with that. Good luck with that. <laughs> I, I ran a marathon and uh, my body fell apart afterwards. So, <laughs> what are the t- what is it telling you?
2: <laughs> yeah. so I, I get these little obsessions, and that, that's yeah. what I was talking about. About learning what you need to know, uh, and and really diving deep into what your interests and what your passions are. Now, I used to be a basketball coach. Now I could show you just crate after crate, like storage map after storage bin, of my basketball library of books, videos, lecture notes, and all that kind of stuff. I remember one one season I decided I'm gonna, you know what, I want to do. The, I'm gonna use the matchup zone on defense this year with my uh, girls varsity basketball team. There were some reasons why I wanted to move to a matchup zone. Well, I could go show you in my uh, attic garage thing over here. I have a bin. I have probably. 35 instructional videos just on the matchup zone, one defense matchup zone. I probably have 15 books on the matchup zone and I've been to every single clinic and workshop I could find to learn about the matchup zone when I wanted to implement the matchup zone with my team. And so same thing when I got into teaching, it was the same thing, publishing, same thing, marketing, entrepreneurship, all these things I'm diving deep and going in and trying to learn everything I possibly can about that topic. And so right now, one of my passions is running. So right on my nightstand, Mm -hmm. uh, is that book on running and plus the book I just finished on running. And so, uh, I I think that's kind of getting relentless about the pursuit of knowledge
1: uh,
2: in the area that you are currently interested in is super important.
1: Yeah. You're such a passionate, passionate person. I love that. Um, so, You had mentioned that you're getting into running and you were thinking about starting a podcast. Where are are you with all of that?
2: I'm still, yeah, I'm still (laughs) everyone. After I get interviewed by everyone on their podcast and I already asked you is I always say like, Okay, so now you got done asking me questions. Now I have questions for you after the recording's okay. all over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what's, what, what's your microphone? What's your what? What are you using to upload your podcast? How are you like getting it to the distribution channels? How are you? And I yeah. started asking all everyone that yeah. interviews me. I'm asking. I'm interviewing them and grilling them afterwards.
1: Yeah, we're gonna do so, it. yeah, I'm in the pad, research.
2: Yeah. I'm in the massive research space space right now, uh, considering jumping into the podcast arena, and um, and so that's that's one of the things I'm working on.
0: Okay. That's one thing I noticed too, when we had our last conversation is, and I think that's what makes you so real and authentic is like, you really do have a growth mindset because you're looking to learn from everyone out there. And it doesn't matter who they are, you know, if they're published, not published, like you're just really looking to learn from people. And I think that's you know, that, that's awesome. I also love that you have that idea of like, I can take something from a totally different venue and put it with what I'm doing and kind of, and I think that's where some of the best creativity comes from. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Dave, we've got some creative questions for you. All right. We have a quick poll. Uh, let's see what we can learn from this. Okay. We're going to ask you uh, kind of an either or question. So mountains or ocean?
2: Ocean for sure. Yeah. So um, I, I do, I do like the mountains, but if I have to choose, it's, it's, I, I'm going to the ocean. Okay. Of course, I live in San Diego. So, you know, okay. uh,
1: classroom or that. stage.
2: Classroom or stage. Yeah. Well, the cla- the classroom mm-hmm. was my stage. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can and, see and that. So, I can see that most things are your stage. I think that that is your, yeah. uh, your and, very,
2: and so, yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Yeah, so I, I like the combination of both. I, I, what I, people say, do you ever miss teaching? And I say, well, not really, because I feel like I still am getting the chance to scratch that teacher itch by what I'm doing now. Right. I'm going around, tra- you know, speaking now virtually, but before that, traveling around speaking, still teaching, still trying to, you know, work with authors and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, I still absolutely feel like a teacher, like an educator, even though I'm not in a um, actual classroom setting at the moment.
0: Yeah. Okay, how about in your free time, quiet night in or sold out concert?
2: Uh, so this maybe will surprise people, but it would be 100% quiet night in.
1: Mm-hmm. That
2: doesn't I think that's one, I, that's one of the things that shocks me <laughs> people is they see me on stage and it's wild and crazy and I end in like a puddle of sweat <laughs> and it's like, you know, I'm talking a thousand words per minute and it's intense. And just unbelievably just kind of just like almost over the top energy right and they think that maybe that's what oh my gosh like i can't imagine living with that guy i i I spoke at a conference and afterwards a a woman sat in the front row who was a a a friend of my friends who was at the at the conference and my friend said to that person like hey we're going to actually go out to lunch with dave afterwards if you want to join us and that person said, um, you know what, I'm going I'm to go back to the hotel room and change clothes and let me get back to you, right? And then eventually they came to lunch. And this is what they confided with me after lunch. They said, hey, you know what, I'm going to be honest with you. When your friend invited me to come to lunch with you, I thought to myself, I just didn't think I could maybe manage it. I was thinking, oh my gosh, this guy's just going to be like so over the top and like I just feel like I would be tired if I had to like hang out with them all the time. Mm-hmm. And then they sat down and lunch with me and realized that I'm just, just a really calm, soft-spoken person and um, kind of an introvert. And yeah. so I get on stage, I go crazy. But if you were to talk to me in person, just off stage, I'm just uh, ordinary introverted, kind of very uh, calm person.
1: So would you say then after like giving a presentation or kind of being on that you definitely need your replenished time? By yourself wow, so
0: I
2: need, I need to decompress
0: decompress yeah yeah what does that look like for you decompression after the presentation
2: yeah so i mean i'll sometimes i mean sometimes I'm, i have to hop right on into my rail car and go jump on a plane to the next spot in which case decompression looks like staring straight ahead for a plane flight where i said i was gonna i said i was gonna work and do email and ended up just like staring straight ahead for um, 90 straight minutes, whatever. But um, yeah, no, sometimes I just have to get away, go have, uh, maybe if I'm going to go out to dinner or something like that, it's going to be, which is a very small group of people as opposed to like go to the after party where there's going to be all kinds of people uh, hanging around and all that. So sometimes I just need a little space or a lot of times um, I it's very difficult for me to walk around a conference without, um, you know, just uh, stuff happening, right? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I just need to go into my hotel room mm-hmm. in between session and just like sit and just relax and chill out and
1: you know. Yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah. I think a lot of people can relate to that because you just can't be on all the time. You know, when yeah. you have that much energy, you need to, to uh gather your energy. Last yeah. question. I have one more question. If you weren't in a classroom, you weren't teaching. Um, you didn't own a publishing company you wouldn't you're not on stage as a musician or a magician what would you do where would you be
2: just (laughs) try to wipe them all out huh
1: right if you weren't doing anything else, yeah where could be those what would what would you be if you were not those things
2: oh yeah that's interesting so I think that um Maybe I would like to look into I'm big into community building and I still think so. I think I would get on social media and maybe try to create some sort of a fitness community. And you know, that's that's a kind of a current focus and passion of mine at the moment. And so maybe I would try to create some sort of fitness community, some sort of fitness coaching situation and a place that people could tap into and get information, get inspiration, motivation. And um, collaborate with other people, and so maybe maybe it'll be something in the fitness industry. Industry. Okay,
1: that's cool. I, well, I actually have one more question that I'm just curious about. So we talk. <laughs> uh, sorry. I, um, we we ta- Last question. We talk about daily habits, um, and like we, you know, James Clear and his habits and all that. Are there? throughout your life are there habits that you are you a structured person um are there daily habits that you feel have contributed to your productivity
2: yeah so i'm i i'm pretty routine and at various points especially if i have uh something that i'm trying to knock off and accomplish then i can become very routine Mm -hmm. and so like right now my fitness routine is very very structured and i have a commitment to it and I'm doing it every day or six, six out of the seven days. And actually I'm committed that it's only six out of the seven days. Sometimes I want to do the seventh day, but I've learned that, Hey, it's important for me to have that recovery day. And that's just as important, if not more important than adding that other ex another exercise day on top of it. Cause I have to have that time for my body to process those adaptations and to kind of recover, regenerate and be ready for my next six day little stretch. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I'm definitely structured that. And and one of the keys is, is people say, well, how how do you have time to consistently fit that in or whatever it is that you're doing? How do you fit that in? And I always go back to this story that I learned from, I heard it on a Seth Godin podcast actually one time where he was talking about this woman who swam every single day. She was this incredible professional success and she was so busy and her life was so scheduled in. And so the question that she always gets is, Like, wait a second, you swim every single day? And she said, every single day, no exceptions. How do you fit that in? And she said, no, no, no. You are completely looking at this the wrong way. Mm -hmm. I do not fit in my swim. I swim. (laughs) I do that. That is in my I swim every day and everything else has to fit around that. But I'm committed to swim every day. That goes in first and now everything else fits in around it. So that's kind of the way I look at it too. If I got something to do, I have something to write, I have a uh, workshop that I'm coming, pulling together. All That kind of, that goes in first. That's my commitment. And then all the other stuff fits in around it like that. And so do I work out every day, six days or six days out of seven week? I do. Uh, do I do it all? When I want to have full schedules of travel, podcasting, the Zooms, virtual things, book releases, all that. Kind of, yeah, I do because that, that, that goes in first, and then I fit everything else around it.
0: I love that passion, commitment, structure, like you've got all the pieces in there. Because when you look at your success, it's like, wow, how did he get there? And you know, I think everything you said here kind of leads there. But my absolute favorite thing about this whole podcast, Dave, is your authenticity. We absolutely loved having you talk to us today. Um, yeah, it was a great conversation.
1: Yeah, thank, thank you so much. much for having
2: me. I love that you two are out there sharing your passion uh, via the podcast. And it's just such a great time to be alive where you can be at your house, right? Yeah. And what you, what you can do via podcasting, via social media, via whatever I mean, you can reach the entire world with your message and uh, you can, and you can do, do it right from your house. And so I love that you two are taking advantage of that and sharing your passion and your love for all this with the world.